You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Jared Clifford, Paralympic athlete. Jared is a vision impaired middle distance runner who made his Paralympic debut as a fresh faced 17 year old at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. There is no denying that Jared raced well in Rio. He placed seventh in the men's 1500 meter T13 and men's 5000 meter T13 with one of his races attracting worldwide attention for being faster than its Olympic equivalent but his improvement and success since then has been astronomical. Jared won a bronze medal in the men's 1500 meter T13 at the 2017 World Para-Athletics Championships, became the first Paralympian to compete at the able-bodied under 20 World Championships in 2018, and was crowned a dual world champion and world record holder in the men's 1500 meter T13 at the 2019 World Para-Athletics Championships. He was set to be the man to beat at the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games, which has been postponed due to the pandemic. However, this year, Jared has managed to secure the first para-athlete sponsorship deal with Nike. Jared is a seriously inspiring athlete and human being with an incredible life mantra. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Hi, Jared. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, and yeah, thanks for having me and, and g'day to all the listeners. Thanks so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Such an incredibly inspiring person and I've got lots of questions. Um, I'd love to start all of these um, interviews with asking you to briefly describe your leadership journey. So could you please talk me through your journey into running, how you navigated first discovering your vision impairment and how you've ultimately gotten to where you are today? Yeah, it's crazy that how many years have passed already. Like I know yesterday, I think it was, it was four years since Rio and, and time's flown since then. So to hear all that is is pretty special. But I think the journey probably begins at the age of three when I was diagnosed with uh, juvenile macular degeneration, which is a degenerative eye condition. At the time, didn't really think that, well, I didn't really know, to be honest, when you're three, what do you know about that kind of stuff, you know? You get glasses yeah. as well. Like I was long-sighted, but you just go to uh, kinder school and yep. I don't know, you don't really think anything's up, to be honest. Uh, other people had glasses too. I just thought it made me smarter, to be honest. Um, yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like I grew up without thinking I was that different. Mum and dad were pretty keen to throw me into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of sports, ball sports, whatever. But uh, throughout primary school, my eyesight did deteriorate and um, my condition affects my central vision. So it became a lot harder for me to perceive detail in the center of my eye. So I had to rely quite a lot on my peripheral vision. So I still played a lot of ball sports. You know, footy was one of the ones that I loved a lot, but I also had this dream, I guess, to represent Australia or, or just to like get to the highest point in, in a certain sport. And that kind of was, yeah, that, that desire came at a pretty young age because I think it was, yeah, 2006 Commonwealth Games, the Socceroos are in the World Cup. I think, yeah, the Ashes was on during that time as well. So there's all of these incredible sporting moments. And, you know, six years on from the Sydney Olympics too, Kathy Freeman, there was all of that to grow up, you know, around. Um, yeah, I love sport and I wanted to kind of mimic those heroes and, 
following their footsteps. But with my vision impairment, I guess the reality was that in a lot of the sports that I was pretty passionate about, that wouldn't be possible. So running was probably something that I went towards as an answer to that problem that I was having. But honestly, running is probably the sport I would have been best at anyway. So my vision deteriorating throughout primary school, I actually see as a blessing in that regard because it led me to running. And without it, maybe I would have been too stubborn to realize it. So yeah, but then to get into the Paralympic Games, there was a talent search in 2012. I already knew I was a pretty decent runner, but yeah, I did a beep test, which I'm sure a lot of people have done before. Yes, I fail miserably. (laughs) They're not fun. (laughs) They're not fun at all. But um, yeah, I did well. So they're like, oh, you you know, come and uh, pursue running. And I think I was 12 or 13 when I went to the Australian Institute of Sport. And from then on, I've been a runner. Amazing. How incredible. And I love how you do see that as a gift that it did lead you to running and ultimately this amazing life that you have and the incredible inspiration that you now are through doing this. I love that so much. Can you tell me, Jared, what leadership means to you? Yeah, I've been thinking about that before this podcast and it's an interesting question because it's not really something that I ever consciously think about, to be honest, because Mm. I think a lot of the people that have been leaders of myself in my journey or people that I look up to, I've never consciously realized what they are doing, but they are like, they are leaders and have, yeah. So for instance, my first coach, Max Bolchin, my first proper club coach, yeah, he is the reason why I love running so much. He, um, yeah, basically taught me everything I know in running and um, just someone that's so special to me and, and, you know, without his support and and the support of his partner, Lynn, too, I wouldn't be anywhere. But it's like it it kind of just feels like to me that it's, yeah, like defining it is so hard because for Max, I know, and for Lynn, you know, it's not like they're doing it because they love it and I think that's Mm. where – incredible leadership or, you know, can come from is doing the things that you love and doing it the best that you can. And I think often the results are incredible, like from that. I know Max and Lynn have touched so many people's lives at Diamond Valley Athletic Club and um, mine definitely too. So I think if I was to give an example of great leadership, it would be those two um, people. So So it's that passion that, that comes through. I definitely think it's better when it's, yeah, something that you're so passionate about, something that you love doing, because I think for leadership to be truly, you know, genuine and successful, it can't be forced. It just has to come through naturally in, yeah, in, yeah something you love. Yes, yes. Amazing, amazing. I'd love to talk to you, Jared, about the leadership quality of courage because this is something that I see in you and I think is is really particularly special about you. And people have such a fear around losing sight. And, you know, you and I have talked about this, how you people can equate this with the unknown and even death. And yet you have just conquered this fear and, and truly are leading through courage, through what you're doing with your running. Can you share a little bit on this and, and how you navigate um, through fear in your life? Yeah, fear is... I think it's a huge part of everyone's life and and I think to say it's not is is probably maybe you're not 
confronting it properly. But I know for me, when my eyesight was deteriorating, especially at a young age, like it's never really explained, you know, the possible consequences of having a degenerative condition. And mine, like I honestly don't think mine's that scary, but I guess that's because I've had it all my life and I don't know any different. But uh, when I talk to people and when I tell them that sometimes if I'm looking at something or I'm running along in the center of my vision, something that is there, it's just not there. Yeah. Because it's so incomprehensible to someone that doesn't experience it. Fear. Yes. Because we fear what we don't know. Like, you know, that's why, you know, we fear things like death or, or the un- like or blackness, which I don't see blackness, but, you know, that's commonly associated with blindness or vision impairment. So, mm. yeah, I notice that when I do my talks that, yeah, a lot of people fear it. But, yeah, I don't think I fear the condition, but I have definitely throughout my life feared not being able to see. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely been periods of my life where that has been quite overwhelming and, you know, but I think, you know, I've met so many incredible people that have gone through some pretty crazy stuff and have, you know, lived to tell the tell the story. So I think for me now, you know, I'm not scared if my vision does deteriorate because I know that it is possible to continue to survive and, and flourish as a human being. Like I know that that's not going to be an inhibiting factor. But yes. that being said, fear is still huge. Like when I go for a run by myself in a place that I don't know, yeah, I guess that's fear, you know, crossing a road by myself, that's fear. Um, going into the city by myself to go to university, you know, I guess that is fear. I do it so often though that it probably feels different, but I think also fear, it definitely makes you stronger too because if you have to confront something like that every single day of your life, then yeah, I think it makes other things a lot easier. Yes, absolutely. When you run by yourself, um, you were saying then when you run by yourself, that could be a time where you would get fear. How do you navigate in, in if you're trying to like run as fast as you can or do a PB, but you're by yourself? Yeah, I, uh, so I use guide runners for long distance races, 5,000 metres and onwards. And my training partner, Tim Logan, he's basically with me on, you know, the majority of my runs, but you know, 1500 meters on the track, or if I am running by myself uh, away from home, because I know the surrounding streets of my place pretty well. But in those situations, um, I think, yeah, like I have to obviously know my limitations because there's obviously sayings when, when say there's something that could restrict what you can do, there's that saying, you know, anything is possible. And, um, I really like that, but (laughs) if you can't see, um, you should also know your limitations. So I think to be true. <laughs> so to be cautious is important because uh, otherwise yeah. you might uh, hurt yourself. So I think often I, if I'm going to run super fast by myself, I have to do it in a place that I'm comfortable in. Uh, otherwise it just could be dangerous. So often uh, a lot of my fast running by myself is on a track or in a place that I run so often that I know it quite well. Otherwise I do just rely on other people usually. That's something that I really love about you, Jared, is that you have this beautiful sense of community and, you know, I know your, your coach and your guides, they're all locals from where you're from, the part of Victoria in Australia that you're from. Can you tell me about your your relationship with them and what your training schedule's like? Yeah, I think on the first part of that, like one of the things that I noticed when I was growing up, especially because when you're at your most self-conscious you don't want to stand out and when you have a vision impairment, 
in reality, you actually do need to ask for help to do things, you know, in the classroom to see things, to um, not strain your eyes too much. But I was very stubborn against asking for help or right. because it would, it would make me stand out as different. But now I think as I've probably uh, become a lot more comfortable with myself, I know that asking for help is actually, yeah, not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. So the guide running was a part of that transformation in terms of accepting that as a part of my running story. So, um, yeah, Tim Logan from, as I mentioned before, he's from the area, you know, lived for a long time has lived within five minutes, um, of where I live. A lot of other runners from Diamond Valley, they may not have ever been an official guide, but you know, when they're on a run with me, if they know me well, then they are looking out for me in terms of if I'm going to hit run into something or if a bike's coming the other way. So, um, a lot of runners like that, my coach, Philo Saunders, he actually lives in Canberra, but he, has had such an impact on my career and, and for him to be able to guide me as well as coach me, like that's also incredibly special. And to win a world title with Tim and Philo, yeah, like the community that is the team that is behind me, um, like in an individual sport where, you know, sometimes it looks like it's all down to your performance. Um, you know, I won my 1500 world title by 0.1 of a second, but um, <laughs> I, th- I think that 0.1 of a second can easily, like very easily uh, be attributed to the team that, you know, has got me to where I am and, and continues to help me to train. And that training, uh, you know, we're running 140 Ks a week in our top kind of training phases uh, before wow. major championships. So that's like, yeah, 10 hours plus running a week. Um Oh, my gosh. Two runs a day. Yeah, three main <laughs> sessions where it's really fast. Um, and our longest run is probably, you know, 30 to 32 Ks now. But, um, yeah, like, I, I mean, I've been doing that for years, so it uh, it doesn't feel too bad. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds crazy to me. I think that's absolutely <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Um, so Jared, congratulations, a huge congratulations to you on being the first Aussie Paralympic runner to sign a deal with Nike. This is such an incredible achievement and I know you were personally very instrumental in making it happen. Can you talk me through this process and, and how you've made this dream a reality? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was actually still a shock to me despite going through quite a few meetings to kind of get it done. But, you know, I've grown up uh, and I've met some incredible Paralympic athletes that have come before me. And the only reason why I was given this opportunity is because of what they did in the sport. And I think um, it's so good that Nike has now jumped on board to support Paralympic running. Or, and they already have through Paralympic sport through like Dylan Alcott. But, yeah, like when I was going through the meetings and I think they they uh, they agree it's it's incredible that, this hasn't happened in more major sporting apparel brands for longer because the Paralympic Games, like what is more marketable than athletes that are persevering through adversity, um, but then, yes, you know, but then they're also doing these like incredible athletic feats that most of maybe only Olympic athletes could do and even some Olympic athletes couldn't do it. Like they're very yes. um, specific skills and and talents and, and, you know, the hard work that we put in, you know, we're elite athletes too. Um, but just, you know, with perhaps like an even more unique story than Olympic athletes. So it, it's incredible. I thought it was incredible that it hadn't happened before. And I think hopefully now uh, this can 
continue the momentum that's um, being driven by, you know, hundreds of athletes from around the world towards greater professionalism in Paralympic sport. Um, that's basically what I was speaking about. And the team at Nike Australia were incredibly supportive of myself and incredibly supportive of some of the ideas that I have for the long term in regards to Paralympic running and, and Paralympic sport as well. So uh, fingers crossed for, yes, the next couple of years. Yes, yeah, so incredible. And, and it is so wonderful to see, you know, brands like Nike making this move and, and change for the future. So how long did that um, process take to, I guess, make that deal happen? Yeah, I mean, the process took a while, but that's because this is pretty new for Nike. I know like, you know, Dylan Alcott, he's obviously a superstar. Um, it's probably a little bit different to myself, whereas, you know, I'm, you know, a world champion, but I'm also, I'm not like a, a celebrity that goes on the radio and the TV all the time. So I think for them, it was a little bit different. So it had to go through all of the channels and um, everyone was supportive along the way, but they just had to kind of navigate yeah, like stuff like, you know, the fact that I wouldn't be going to an Olympic Games, I'd be going to a Paralympic Games, which is, you know, in terms of just the wording in certain things, like they had to sort that out. But then obviously coronavirus hit and uh, that threw a spanner in the works. But to Nike's credit, uh, you know, they, I think they see the long-term potential in myself, but the long-term potential in Paralympic sport, because Paralympic sport's not going anywhere, even if Tokyo's cancelled. So, um, Paris 2024 is, will be massive, if not Tokyo 2021. So, and you know, I'm pretty, pretty excited to you know play my part, however small, in in continuing to drive this movement forward. Amazing, so incredible. So you did mention then, you know, the uh, crazy year we've had with coronavirus, and it has been challenging for everybody. And something that um, you know we as a collective in the world have has have had to deal with is moving through grief. You know, everybody has had to deal with some sort of grief of losing what this year was going to be for them. Um, it's different for everybody, and I know for you, it's you know you've got this um, incredible. I suppose, disappointment of, of the 2020 Olympic Games being postponed when you've worked for so long um, in the lead up to this happening. So how have you moved through that, that sort of grief of letting go of what this year would have been and at the same time staying motivated to keep up your training? Yeah, this year has been um, for everyone, I think, uh, an emotional roller coaster because yeah, like it's a year in our lives that we probably have plans that we may never get to do them the way we thought we were going to be able to, um, you know, and we don't really get this year back. Like that is the reality. And confronting the truth of that statement is like pretty tough, you know, like Tokyo 2020 has been written on my whiteboard since oh, probably since I was 13, since I, like my entire teenage life. And I think the sporting dream that I've had since I was probably six has evolved into being all about Tokyo 2020. So mm. you could even say that my entire life has felt like it's led up to this moment. And I think because I won two world titles in Dubai in 2019, I proved I was the best in the world. I only had to hold that form for six months. Um, yes. It was nearly just about get into the start line. Like that's how it felt yeah. like in a lot of ways. So yeah, there was different stages of grief. Yeah. Because, you know, grief, I mean, 
if you're disappointed about something, what I've found is that, you know, you have to embrace it. You can't measure it against other people's because if you do that, then I think that's unhealthy because you're not, I don't know, you're like, if you've saved up for years to go on a holiday and that, that holiday was this year, like to be shattered about missing that is totally understandable. Um, yeah, like that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, yeah. yeah, I think at the start, a lot of people were like measuring and comparing, which I didn't, I didn't really think that was worthwhile because, you know, obviously there are different types of grief and there are different, I guess, levels of grief, but yeah, everyone's grief is totally okay and relevant. And yeah, like when I was first told that the Paralympic Games were going to be postponed, um, it was nearly a relief at first because I was thinking they might get cancelled straight off the bat. But um, we also kind of knew that Australia was going to pull out of the games, even if they did go ahead, which was kind of scary. Right, okay. To miss it all together because Australia actually, yeah, they did announce that they weren't going to send a team um, before they were officially postponed. So when they were postponed, it was a relief, but it's still like even though you think you're prepared to hear it because it's like just reality of the year, um, it still hit home pretty hard. I didn't really sleep oh, yeah. that night. Um, cause then the question goes, and, and I, yeah, I was really looking forward to a break after Tokyo 2020 because my body is pretty tired, but maybe it's not my body actually. It's probably just my mind. Um, it's a bit of pressure, like, oh, it's a lot of pressure, mainly put on myself. Um, and I was really looking forward to that being over and, um, ticking the box with the uh hopefully winning a gold medal but yeah so now I have to wait a year but that's fine like in reality it'll actually be better for me because at my age another year will be still good like I'll be stronger and fitter and in distance running you don't peak necessarily till you're way older so yeah for me uh in terms of performance it shouldn't be bad um but um crazy thing if more than half your life has been geared towards one day or one four-minute window as well within that day. Yes. Um, oh, and then, so yes. to move, yeah, I don't know. It just uh, knocks you around a little bit, but I think I'm, um, you know, I think I'm moving on in terms of now looking ahead to 2021. Mm. It's um, it's interesting too how you said that maybe it all end up being better or, or you know, certainly okay for you because I, I know. Um, I'm not a runner. So the way I'm relating to you, Jared, is I think of shows because I'm a performer. Yeah. And so you lead up to that one show and then the show is over. Like, in, yeah. and, and then what? And I know a lot of people, performers, like they crash after that because they were only, as you were saying, like, like living up to that one point. And yeah. then it's kind of like almost like this emptiness afterwards, like, okay, but what now? So um, it's almost like, what a gift and yeah. I don't know, a new kind of like exploration for you to be able to to go through these emotions now leading into it so that you're in like a completely different mindset <laughs> once you do win that gold medal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, this year I, uh, I don't know if it's been a good idea actually, but I, I took on four subjects at uni, which um, is a big deal. Wow. Yeah, it's a big deal for me because I haven't done full-time school since year nine, which was 2014. Uh, so I kind of decided to just, I don't know, dive into that. Um, you know, I did an extra year of high school in preparation for Tokyo 2020. So 
when Tokyo got cancelled, I was like, oh, I should probably try and catch up on, on some education. Like yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It gives you a different perspective. That's awesome. Um, definitely because, you know, you start to go, oh, geez, like this might not happen now. Like this might get cancelled and you have to, you know, you are forced to look beyond a little bit, you know, plan a little bit ahead, um, plan past running because you realise, yeah, you can't really take it for granted that it will happen. Um, we've seen that this year. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will now line up on the start line hopefully next year with a completely different outlook. And, and you know, I say this all the time that Tokyo has been everything for me in my life and that, uh, you know, I can't really think past that moment too much and it's just like all-consuming. But the reality is I also believe that I'm aware completely that it is a race and although it's been super important obviously if if I don't win well firstly if I don't win I I think that'll be because the person that beats me is genuinely better than me but also two you know like it like there's more important things in life than than that gold medal um so I think this is has probably even increased that understanding because I think that is important because I know Mm. a lot of elite athletes that are obsessive which like I am for sure but yeah like those kind of athletes I know it can be detrimental to them themselves if they maybe can't quite realize that yeah it's you know it is just a race at the end of the day yes yes so yeah I suppose a little bit of magic under there for you in in I guess what that's given you this year we've got to try to find the silver silver linings don't we (laughs) yeah no definitely One aspect of your leadership is that you're this incredible role model to so many young athletes. And, you know, one part of that that I love is that you are so real and raw, like in everything that we've already just discussed today, you know, you're so beautifully just like sure of yourself and honest and real. It's such a beautiful quality and an amazing quality for a role model as well. Is this position that you have something that, you know, you're conscious of and how do you kind of yeah, move through life knowing that you have all these people yeah. looking up to you. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm, I'm conscious that people, you know, are following my journey. You know, I get messages from people saying that parts of that journey have touched them in a way that has meant something to their own journey, which, um, you know, every time I read a message like that, it's, it's incredibly special. Um, yeah, I know being conscious of it is like so, like I guess I am, but then it's like at the end of the day, like, yeah, it's like I go out for a run um, and then I, <laughs> you know, or if it's a race, I go onto a track and just run really hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> but then I, I think that the people that I admire greatly are, yeah, the people that are honest, open and quite raw and uh, you know you look you can look at social media and and I know I do a little bit of this as well but the portrayal of yourself may not be completely genuine um and so I've tried to post some pretty raw stuff this year because I know that a lot of people are experiencing that um and I also want people to know that you know because I think people can sometimes look at athletes and think they're kind of like these superhuman, like kind of people that like robots even. Um, yeah. Which is not, like not true, obviously. You know, we get nervous and feel the pressure. And, and I think, yeah, like a lot of people will talk about, you know, my vision impairment and how I, you know, go through life with that, which, you know, for me is just how I live. You know, I just wake up and do it. 
Um, yeah. People talk about that, I guess. People talk about the way I run races, stuff like that. But I think one thing that a lot of people that I'm conscious of now, especially is, yeah, just to be as open as possible. And yeah, like even this podcast today, you know, I, I don't like to, I like to read through the questions, but I don't like to plan because I think you're probably going to get more out of me that you can then take away if I've, if I've just talked, you know, from, from my head or heart or wherever I'm talking from. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love that so much. It's wonderful. And thank you for doing that. In your opinion, Jared, what is your greatest professional achievement and and why? Yeah, geez. Um, It would have to be the world titles that I won last year because they were my first world titles. Um, And one of them, yeah, was with, you know, my coach and my best mate. So that was really special. And I think, you know, I get pretty sentimental, to be honest, about my journey or, you know, the people that have helped me get there and, um, you know, Tim is someone that's, you know, we've, we've been running together since 2013. So to be crowned like world champion, which is something, you know, I think I used to jump on the trampoline and pretend to commentate that I'd won a world championship or something. I don't even know what really? it Really? I don't know. That, I've been told that. I don't actually remember. Wow. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> so like, yeah, I think that was like a dream come true and to do it with like, people that mean so much to me like that was super special and I think also at the time um obviously Tokyo was going ahead then (laughs) the first thing I said to myself after the race when I could think was like oh I've just got to do that again one more time (laughs) in Tokyo (laughs) so it was was confirmation to me that I could now achieve the big dream the ultimate dream um which I still yeah still got to happen um but yeah obviously the rewards for that, yeah, like being a professional athlete through a sponsorship like Nike, that's um, oh, that, that's incredible. Like it's, I don't know if it was ever a specific dream, but it's just the idea of that is so cool. And um, it's easy to say a lot of those, you know, material achievements, but being able to just like run um, 140Ks a week or, you know, I did a 50K run just around the streets of, St. Helena Greensboro the other day. Oh, not the other day, at the start of lockdown. But, you know, just to be able to do that, I think um, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So, yeah, I, I, I love everything I do through the running world, I think. Yes. Amazing, amazing, amazing. But to finish off today, what's one piece of leadership advice that you'd like to leave us with? I think my advice would be, firstly, to be comfortable with who you are um, and to embrace who you are. And to know that imperfection is a part of life and it's actually probably what makes you really like an incredible person because um, I know when I was growing up, that is the complete opposite to what I thought. And I feel like I've only been able to achieve the things that I've achieved since embracing who I am and being comfortable and realizing that, you know, for me, having a disability is a strength for other people. It could be anything, but, um, I guess that's my imperfection, but I wouldn't think of it in a negative light anymore at all. So I think that's like my first bit of advice. And, and then my second is, yeah, like do the things you're passionate about, do the things that you love because yeah, you're going to obviously flourish if you're in an environment that you just love being in. Cause, uh, yeah. And I think in terms of leadership, as I said, at the start of the podcast, if, you're in that environment and, um, yeah, you're doing the things that you love. I think your leadership qualities will, will shine through because, um, you'll be confident 
yeah, you'll be just, I don't know, so enthusiastic to kind of, if you have wisdom to, to give it off to other people and yeah. And you'll also do it in a way that helps the collective and helps the team. And, um, yeah, I think that'd be, that's my advice. I think hopefully it makes sense. Um, <laughs> yes, it makes so much sense. It's absolutely incredible advice. I really, really love that. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you for everything you've shared today, for having this chat with me. You know, you really are this this incredibly talented person, but also so grounded and, and down to earth and determined. Uh, it's just been a pleasure speaking with you and I wish you all the best for getting that gold medal, whether it's next year or 2024. I'm very much looking forward to that happening and uh, wish you all the best. No, thank you very much and, and, and thanks for having me on the podcast too. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.